Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The Bible says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church or the congregation. I'll talk more about that in a moment. And if they refuse to listen even to the congregation, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. May Yahweh bless His word to all of our hearts this day. In my last lesson, I began teaching on the subject of what is normally termed church discipline. We looked at this through the lens of 1 Corinthians 5, specifically verses 1 through 2, and we talked about the man inside the congregation at Corinth who was living in unrepentant sin. He was involved in an intimate relation with his father's wife. Well, instead of weeping and mourning over this sin, the congregation was puffed up with pride. Instead of confronting this member about his sin, which would have been an act of love, it is a loving thing to do to confront a brother or sister genuinely, in gentleness, in meekness, about their sin that they're not repentant of. Leviticus 19.17 tells us, it commands us, do not hate your brother in your heart. You shall in any wise rebuke your neighbor and not allow the sin to remain upon him. But instead of confronting this congregational member about his sin, they were just going along as though nothing out of the ordinary was taking place. Well, what should have been done in that case and what should be done in all cases where a person inside the fellowship, inside the congregation, falls into a sin of this magnitude is to follow the instructions that Yeshua gives us in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, which was our opening text. And we're going to look at those instructions in detail in this lesson. But before we look at Matthew 18, I'd like to go over a few points from my last lesson. As I listened to that lesson myself, because I was a little concerned with some of the things that I stated, I felt that I needed to better explain some of the statements that I made. and So that's what I want to do to open up this lesson. I made a statement last time about Matthew 18:15, where Yeshua says, reading from the NIV, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you have won them over. And I followed up that statement by saying that if you find yourself in this situation, in Matthew 18:15, you do not need to go tell anyone else about the brother or the sister's sin. You don't even need to go to your pastor. Now, what I did not mean by that is that you should never come to your pastor for help, guidance, encouragement, or counsel. You should. And a pastor, a teacher, an elder should be willing to guide you, to help you, to encourage you, and to counsel you. So I am a pastor. I do not like 
the word the pastor. I'm a pastor of this congregation. I don't believe one pastor or the pastor is a biblical concept. Okay? But I'm a pastor. I do a lot of teaching at this congregation. Pastor can mean shepherd, leader, guide, elder. I'm not entirely certain how that came to be, but it came to be nonetheless. And as a pastor, I am here to help guide you in your walk with Yahweh. I'm here to encourage you when you're tired. I'm here to counsel you if you ask me to do that. I'm here to help this local body. Sometimes I think I can change the world, but Yahweh's showing me hometown. Take care of the local congregation. I can't fix everything. My family, blood family, my physical family, my wife, five children, this is my family here, this local congregation, this local body. So if you need to talk to me or ask me about something, you are more than welcome to do so. That goes for everybody in the congregation. And I promise to do my best to lead you in the right direction. I promise to do that. I take it very seriously. When I study, when I teach the Bible, I take it very seriously. I try my best to bring forth truth. That doesn't mean everything that comes out of my mouth is true. I think it would be foolish for a man to think that everything that comes out of his mouth is true. But I promise that I try my best. I labor in the Word and in the doctrine. Now, I'm not perfect. Please don't expect me to be. I need a Savior, just like all of us. But I am striving to follow in the footsteps of Yeshua. That's my goal, following His footsteps. So I'm here for everybody that needs me. So I did not mean that you should never come to me for help. But what I did mean is that you can cause damage to a brother or a sister by first talking about their sin to someone else, even a pastor. The first step that Yeshua gives us is a private step. Yeshua is a compassionate teacher and He's teaching us that if a fallen brother or sister can be won back over to the faith and repent of their sin that at the time they're unrepentant of, if that can happen in private, that's the first way and that's the best way to win them back. So I'll use me for an example, and I will use the man I consider to be my elder pastor, Brother Arnold. If I see one of you in the congregation falling into a sin that you are unrepentant of, I don't need to go ask Brother Arnold what I need to do. Yeshua has already told me what to do. And if you see somebody in the congregation falling into a sin that they're unrepentant of, you don't need to come ask me what to do. Yeshua has already told you what to do. You go to that person in private. It's the first step. If the person listens, that's wonderful. You've gained your brother or your sister. Because the whole goal of this is to restore a brother or a sister. That's the whole goal. Now, let me now explain in more detail something else I said in the last lesson. I spoke about church membership. I've kind of been on and off on this over the years, not knowing really how to do it. But I wanted to clarify some things so people won't misunderstand me or take me out of context. While I do believe that the members of this congregation are found in the faithful attendees and participants of the congregation, 
I also realize that there are many people that listen in to our services by way of telephone because they don't have any fellowship where they live. And I realize that if many of those people lived here locally, they would be faithful attendees and participants in this congregation. So when I said that I consider the faithful local participants to be the members of the congregation, I was not excluding those who call in every week to gather together and assemble in the best possible way they can with us. I can't tell you how many phone calls I get from people that say, it sure would be nice if we lived close to the congregation. And these people have zero fellowship around them. And they, I think, make the wise decision not to just go to any church that is available. I saw a bumper sticker one time that was kind of new agey. It said, go to the church of your choice. Just go to the church of your choice. And I don't think that's biblical. I think we should go to the congregation where the word of Yahweh, first and foremost, is taught. What I was trying to get across in my last lesson was that somebody locally that does not regularly attend and participate in the functions of the congregation is not to be considered a member of the congregation. Now, all of us have times where we are physically sick, where we're not able to attend. That's life. We have times where we may be out of town and we're not able to attend. That's not what I'm talking about. And then there's times where some of us might be struggling with something in life. And we might be going through a rough patch in our life. Now, I think that it's best to attend the congregation when that happens. I do. But I also understand, because I'm human, I understand things that can happen to people. And we're human, and sometimes we need help and encouragement, and sometimes we may not feel like being around anybody. It doesn't make it right. But sometimes we go through things like that. And it's not that Yahweh's love ceases. It's not that we cease to be a member of a congregation or anything like that. We're just going through a rough patch and we need help and encouragement. I don't speak of any of those things when I'm talking about non-church members. I'm speaking of people who don't regularly attend and participate inside of the congregation. You might see them one time and then you might not see them again till next month or a few months after that. That's not a member. A member will faithfully assemble with the saints on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the feasts. Now in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, in the last lesson, that text showed us that there was congregational membership in the church or the congregation at Corinth. Else, how could the church remove the unrepentant sinner from among them? Remember verse 2. Remove that wicked person from among you. That means there has to be some kind of membership. I'm not saying it's the same way back in Corinth as it is modern day churchianity. But I'm saying there's some kind of understanding that here we have a flock of people and they were going, at this point, they should have removed this person from among them because he was totally unrepentant. So I hope that that clarifies my points in a more thorough way. In the remainder of the lesson, I'd like to look at the rest of the instructions that Yeshua gives us in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 16, which is the second step. When we read these steps, we should follow them, but don't be so rigid like, okay, i got to do step one. Okay, step one. i got to do step two. All right. Don't read them rigidly like that, okay? They can breathe. You can let them breathe, all right? 
not like, you know, okay, well, this I know this brother or this sister is in unrepentant sin, and I, I've got to go to them, and I go to them in private, and they're not going to listen to me. So, all right, now I'm going to call, and I don't care if it's midnight. I'm going to call and bring two or three with me. I don't think that that's the point that Yeshua is making. Verse 16, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, Yeshua anticipates that sometimes the brother or sister that you go to in private will not be willing to listen to your rebuke. This is the case. This happens. We need to make sure that it's not because of how we approach them that they don't want to listen. Some people think that anytime somebody doesn't listen to them, they're being persecuted. When in reality, sometimes people don't listen to us because we're a jerk rather than a patient, comforting brother or sister. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch, right? It's the truth. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says we are to go to a brother or sister in a spirit of meekness and a spirit of gentleness, considering ourselves lest we also be tempted or fall into sin. So I ran into a verse today in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul said he was given the authority by the Master to build up and not to tear down. And that when he came to the church at Corinth, he did not want to come with severity. He wanted to speak the truth, yes, be firm in the truth, but speak it in a way that was caring and compassionate for the flock. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that one of the offices in the congregation is pastor-teacher. It talks about the fourfold ministry in, in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4. And you have teaching pastors. And that word for pastor is the same Greek word for shepherd in the Greek New Testament. And a shepherd cares for his sheep, does he not? Now, I love Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd. Brother Jerry's been talking about that recently. He cares for his flock. And the New Covenant pastor is to be a shepherd. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, not lording over the heritage that has been entrusted, but being an example to the flock. So I thought, man, that 2 Corinthians 13.10 really hits home with me. And from now on, every time before I enter the pulpit, I'm going to pray, by the authority that you've given me, Master, let me not come with severity, but let me come for the purpose of building up and not tearing down. Even when we follow these steps, the purpose, the purpose, the goal is not to tear down. The goal is to restore. That should be the goal, to restore. So we need to make sure that the reason that a brother or sister does not want to listen to us, we need to make sure it's not because of how we come to them. We come to them in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, but sometimes we can come properly in a proper rebuke. But they're so steeped in their sin, they're not willing to let their sin go because they love their sin more than they love Yahweh. Well, in this case, you're to take one or two other persons with you and you're to go back to that brother or that sister. And Yeshua says, this is so the matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Mark that. Two or three witnesses. That's going to be very important at the end of the sermon. Two or three witnesses. Now, what Yeshua is doing here, he's actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, where it says, 
One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, Deuteronomy 19.15 is specifically talking about a criminal, someone that has committed a capital crime. You can't convict a man if you only have one eyewitness. The principle, though, applies to accusations. 1 Timothy 5 says don't even receive an accusation against an elder except out of the mouth of two or more witnesses. Here Yeshua says if they don't listen to you in private, then you can bring one or two more people with you so that every matter will be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Again, when you bring one or two other people with you and go back to that unrepentant brother or sister and talk to them, what's your goal? To restore them. That's your goal, to help them. Not to pounce down, not to put a big thumb on them, not to get self-righteous, but you're there because you love them and you don't want to see them be eternally condemned. You want to see them come out of their sin and love Yahweh more than their transgression. So, when a fallen brother or sister refuses to listen to you in private, what you then do is to take another person or two persons with you and go back to them. And in gentleness, rebuke them in love. I would recommend that the people you take with you be revered people inside of the assembly. I like how Methodist commentator Adam Clark says to take men who he esteems, who may then confirm and enforce what thou sayest. Presbyterian commentator Albert Barnes says they should be persons of influence or authority, his personal friends or those in whom he could put confidence. Now, I believe that the idea here is that bringing highly esteemed people in the congregation with you as your witnesses, people that are seasoned in the faith and in the Word, those people, just by their presence, might bring conviction upon the unrepentant sinner. When you show up with esteemed brothers or sisters in the faith that love the fallen brother or sister, it could have a melting effect upon the unrepentant sinner's heart. So, when you follow this step, what is your goal in bringing one or two other esteemed people with you? To restore. Restoration is the goal. You don't show up with two more people to dog the brother out. You show up with two more people because you love the sinner. And you want to see them back into the fold, back into the flock. And you're to speak peaceably, lovingly, yet firmly to the fallen brother or sister. This way the matter is being established before multiple credible witnesses just in case the third step has to be carried out. But before we move to the third step, let me answer a question that was asked of me after my last lesson. I love questions. So if you have questions, always come to me and ask me. Here's the question. It went something like this. Suppose I go to a person in private, Brother Matthew, like Matthew 18.15 says, and this person does not think that they've committed a sin. What am I to do then? That's an excellent question because there could be a case where from a lack of knowledge in the law of Yahweh, you may be accusing someone of sinning when they're not sinning. Sometimes we judge other people by a standard other than Yahweh's law, which is actually no standard at all. So my first answer is to make certain that you're judging your brother or your sister by the standard of Yahweh's law. 
is why we must be in Yahweh's law, meditating upon it day and night. The blessed man, Psalm 1, meditates upon the law day and night. Because if you're only judging people by your personal opinion or some other standard, you're committing unrighteous judgment. Secondly, if you do think you have the right to follow Matthew 18.15, but your brother or sister that you go to insists that they're not sinning, then sit down and have a Bible study with them. And if need be, inquire of some elders in the congregation and learned men in the faith to join in that Bible study. There's safety in a multitude of counsel, Proverbs says. It's always better to consult more people than just your own brain about a matter. And always try your best to pick men who have an allegiance to the Scriptures. That way you'll be doing your best to follow Yahweh's instructions in the situation. And if it turns out that your brother or sister is not committing a transgression of Yahweh's law, then you should ask them to forgive you for bearing false witness. But if it turns out that your brother or sister is committing a transgression of Yahweh's law and they repent, then praise Almighty Yahweh. We've done restoration in the congregation. You've gained your brother or your sister. But what if they're committing a transgression of the law and they remain unrepentant? You've already went to them in private. They didn't want to listen. They love their sin. You take one or two others with you, esteemed in the congregation, you approach them in love and in gentleness. You rebuke them firmly. They still didn't want to listen. Stay away from me. I'm not interested. I'm fine where I'm at. What are you to do? Well, Matthew 18, verse 17, Yeshua continues. He says, If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yeshua says, at this point, you are to bring it publicly before the congregation. Before you were totally private between you and one person. Then you were still kind of private because there were only two or three witnesses with the person. But at this point, if it gets this far, you're to bring it publicly in front of the congregation. I want you to notice the use of the word church here, which is the Greek word ekklesia. And that word in Greek means a calling out or an assembling or a gathering of believers. I don't really like the word church. Maybe I should do a teaching on this one time. Many of the English translations of the Bible prior to the King James Version, like the Bishop's Bible, the Matthew's Bible, the Great Bible, they use the word congregation instead of church. Now, King James of England, because he was more of the belief of a church hierarchy in that you had a one-man bishop that was leading everything instead of a plurality of elders like the New Testament teaches, he told the translators of the King James Bible that they were not allowed to use the word congregation in certain passages in the New Testament. Congregation implies all of us. Not a one-man show, all of us. Church is more of a word, if you study it out, that goes back to a place or a building rather than an assembling or a gathering. So I still use the word church sometimes because I was raised in you know denominational Christianity and it just comes out that way. But I believe, if you're asking me, I believe congregation or assembly is a better translation of the Greek word ekklesia. So you bring it before the ekklesia on this third step. Not before just the pastor. You bring it before the ekklesia, all of us. 
Now, this shows, again, that there exists a congregational membership. It's biblical. There has to be a recognized group of people that form the congregation in order to bring the fallen brother or sister publicly in front of that congregation. Now, a congregation can meet in a building. A congregation can meet under an oak tree. A congregation can meet in a rented room at a hotel, and they're still a congregation. Okay? doesn't have to be a specific place, a church, so to speak. But there's a recognized group of people that you bring the fallen brother or sister in front of. Now, when you do this, we don't want to lose sight of this, when you do this, again, the hope is maybe the person will break down and repent of their sin at this point. That's the hope. We don't bring them in here just for the purpose of damning them and excommunicating them. We bring them in here publicly hoping that it melts their heart and their mind and they repent. Maybe they'll come to their senses and they'll admit that they love their sin more than the Father and they'll repent of that sin. Maybe they'll drop to their knees right in front of the congregation, in the midst of the congregation, and they'll be sorrowful to Yahweh for the lifestyle that they have adopted. That's the hope. And glory, hallelujah, if they're sorrowful. Glory, hallelujah, if we could have forgiveness because of the repentance from that person. Praise Yahweh. That should be the goal. We should rejoice with exceeding joy. If we ever get to the third step here in Yeshua's instructions and we have to bring a member of this congregation that has fallen into sin in front of this congregation publicly and they drop to their knees and they say, I repent, I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't be involved in this. We should rejoice. Not I told you so. Not you should have listened. We should rejoice. Praise Yahweh. The reason I know we should rejoice is because right before these instructions, look at what Yeshua says. Same chapter, Matthew 18, 12 through 14. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, notice the sheep is a member of the fold, but the sheep wanders off. Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So in the same way that the shepherd who finds his lost sheep rejoices, we should rejoice with the Father in heaven when someone who has wandered away from the faith repents and comes back into the fold. But, what if we bring the unrepentant person in front of the congregation and they still refuse to listen? Yeshua anticipates this. They still refuse. Well, He tells us in Matthew eighteen seventeen that there is to be discipline. No discipline when it is taking place is enjoyable. Hebrews chapter 12. But why does there exist discipline? Because we need to be trained and we need to be helped along. Yahweh disciplines those whom He loves. If we're without discipline, then we're fatherless. Paul was speaking about this in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2 when he wrote to remove the man who was living with his father's wife. Yeshua says that if they refuse to listen to the congregation, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, they are to be considered outside the fellowship and an unbeliever you are to stop holding religious affiliation with that person. 
So I don't think that I could put what I wanted to say any better than Albert Barnes did back in the 1800s when he commented on Matthew 18:17. Presbyterian pastor. Listen to what he said. I think he put it beautifully. Quote, Publicans, that is tax collectors, were people of abandoned character. And the Jews, or the Judahites, would have no contact with him. The meaning of this is, cease to have religious contact with him or to acknowledge him as a Christian brother. It does not mean that we should cease to show kindness to him and aid him in affliction or trial, for that is required toward all people. But it means that we should disown him as a Christian brother and treat him as we do other people not connected with the church or the congregation. This should not be done until all these steps are taken. This is the only way of kindness. This is the only way to preserve peace and purity in the church or in the congregation. I think that's beautiful. It doesn't mean that you be ugly towards them. But you have to say at this point, I can't consider you to be a Christian brother or sister. And I think we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 5 that in context, one of the things that Paul says not to do with that person is keep the Passover or eat the Master's Supper. Why? Because they're no longer considered to be in covenant. Now, I believe that our goal should be to never get past step one. Then if we have to go past step one, let's make a goal that we don't want to go past step two. But then if we have to go past step two, let's make a goal that we don't want to go past step three. Why? Because we love. We love our brother. We love our sister. We should do everything in our power to control these situations and help our fallen brother or sister back into the fold. Now, I want you to notice the context of the next three verses, Matthew 18, 18 through 20, where Yeshua says, right on the heels of what we just talked about, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, in context, the binding and the loosing here does not refer to casting out a demon, praying for somebody who's sick, believing that Yahweh will bless you financially, or even a few people gathering for a Bible study. That's usually how it's quoted. You have just a few people show up for a Bible study. There's just a few of us, and you say, well, where two or three are gathered. He's in our midst. Now, do I believe that? Do I believe that Yeshua in spirit is gathered in our midst? If there's just a couple of us here? Sure. Do I believe that Yeshua and his apostles and others cast out demons in the, in the Bible? Yes. Do I believe that Yahweh can bless you financially and meet your needs? Yes. And do I believe we can pray for somebody who is sick and they be healed? Yes, I do. I believe all of those things. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse in context refers to discipline in the congregation. The binding is you bind someone who is unrepentant. You tie them up. You push them away. The loosing is you loose the person who repents. Your sins are forgiven. You've repented. You're untied. You're loose. When the congregation under the authority of Yeshua does this on earth in practicing congregational discipline, 
it will be done in heaven. In other words, it has heavenly authority. Now, this helps us understand Matthew 16, where Yeshua, speaking to Peter, and Peter receives a revelation by the Father in heaven, and then Yeshua says, you're Peter, and upon this rock, in other words, what you just spoke, the revelation you just spoke, I will build my ecclesia, my congregation, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail over it. What is the it? The congregation. And then what does Yeshua tell Peter? I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That sometimes, or a lot of times, most of the time, is misinterpreted because it doesn't take into consideration the context of Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Yeshua is not giving just Peter the keys of the kingdom. He's giving it to the congregation. I want you to notice here in these verses how he mentions two or three. That goes back with when you bring another person or two to speak with you to the unrepentant person. That's what this is talking about. At the end, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Well, when you go for that second step and you bring that other person or two people with you and you approach the unrepentant sinner, that's going to be a kind of a nervous situation. But you can have a surety that Yeshua is there with you when you do that. Because you're gathering to do what He told you to do. So you have His authority. And if that person repents and you loose them on earth, they'll be forgiven in heaven. If they don't repent and you have to bind them, they'll be bound in heaven. Last week, Brother Ron stood up and bless his heart. He had such a broken, repentant, contrite spirit. It reminded me of Psalm 34 and Psalm 51 where Yahweh says he's near to the brokenhearted and he's close to those that have a contrite spirit. And he began to weep over his transgression where he had disobeyed Yahweh. And Yahweh's spirit moved upon me and said, because I was studying this, go loose that brother. Go loose him. And I went over there and I hugged him and I said, Brother Ron, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because of his repentance, his contriteness. But a person who's stern, they've sinned, they've been rebuked, they love their sin. No, we tie them, we bind them. And it has the authority of heaven behind it. That's what these verses are talking about contextually. So see, the Bible comes alive when we seek to understand and interpret it correctly. And the health of a congregation increases when we follow the Messiah's teachings here regarding disciplining a fallen brother or sister in the faith. I want to encourage and instruct you at this point. I want you to trust the words of Yeshua as recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew. The next time you face a situation like this, the next time you see a brother or sister begin to fall away into a sin and they are not repentant about that sin, we know what we're supposed to do. You go to them in private in the spirit of meekness. Explain to them, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Explain that you care about their well-being. You care about their salvation, their spiritual health. Make sure to tell them that you're approaching them because you're genuinely worried about where they are headed. And make certain that at this point that you keep it private, that you don't tell anybody else about the situation. 
Oh, how I would love to see these instructions followed out of an honor to our Messiah's words and a genuine love and care for our fellow saints. Amen. We're a family. We're supposed to care and love for one another. You know, I've been involved in church my whole life. And some things that I've seen behind the scenes sometimes have made me want to give up on it altogether. But I have to remember, I cannot allow other people's abuses of the Bible to turn me away from the proper use of Scripture. So I've been in church my whole life, and I'm just plumb tired of something getting back around to me in the form of a gossip about somebody else in the congregation. Even if a brother or sister is involved in a sin, if you gossip around about them, you're in sin too. So repent of your tongue and go to your brother or your sister in private. These steps are sanctioned by the Holy Spirit. They're not made up steps. They're divine steps. And I guarantee you that if we listen to the Messiah and we obey Him, these situations will go much smoother than if we disobey Him and try to do things our own way. And when a brother or a sister repents and they ask for forgiveness, listen, we best forgive them. Let me show you why. Matthew 18, verse 21 to the end of the chapter. This comes in right after our text. Then Peter came to him and said, Master, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Until seven times? Yeshua saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Well, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, until he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it gets into the minds and the hearts of the people. 
I pray, I know that apart from your spirit working with what I say, it, it, it's meaningless. So I just pray that your spirit right now would work and it, people would be able to mull over what the scriptures have said this evening. And I pray, Yahweh, that we would obey the instructions and seek to seek to please you in what we do. Father, bring us back here next week as we continue in 1 Corinthians 5 and looking at this subject more, understanding more about it. And may we put to practice what we learn. For it's through your Son, I pray. Amen.